Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ of St. Paul, located in Matamidi, Minnesota. We are a suburban congregation united in Christ and grounded in the values of diversity, solidarity, and witness. You can learn more about us by going to fccstpaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. Our text for today comes from two places. Well, we will first read um, Genesis 2, 18 through 24, and then we will go to Mark 10, 2 through 16. And you can follow along. All in uh, the, the passages are printed in our bulletin. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever he called every living thing, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And there he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is the, the, this at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And now from Mark. Some Pharisees came, and to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up into his arms laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I want to start today's sermon with two stories. One that is historical, 
and one that's personal. The first has to do with a governor and the signing of a new law. On September 5th of 1969, Ronald Reagan, who was then the governor of California, signed what was called the Family Law Act. Now this act made the Golden State the first state in the nation to allow for no-fault divorce. Before that act's passage, if you wanted to get a divorce, you had to give a reason that you wanted this divorce. And this was true in Governor Reagan's own life when he divorced his first wife, the actress Jane Wyman. Wyman had to fabricate a story that Reagan was, quote unquote, mentally cruel in order for their marriage contract to be broken. What no-fault divorce meant was that you no longer had to give a reason for that divorce. And that made the act of ending a marriage much, much easier. And shortly thereafter, other states followed. And the 1970s saw the divorce race rise substantially. Reagan has been known to have later regretted signing the bill, but what was done was done. Divorce was about as common as apple pie. Now the personal story takes place about eight years later. And it takes place on an evening, a January evening in 1978. And my mother got a call from my Uncle Pablo. Without any warning, his wife had taken their three children and moved out of the house. And Pablo had come from work to this surprise. That was when I learned about divorce and what it was all about. And I had a front row view. Mistakes were made on both sides. And especially as the couple was haggling about visitation rights of the kids. That happened almost a half century ago. And the actions that took place on that winter evening in 1978 still affect the family today. Now, divorce is one of those things that the church really does not want to talk about. Even though divorce is far more common these days, let's just be honest, we are not raring to talk about the ending of a marriage. And the fact is, the reality of divorce has touched all of us. Many people in this congregation, people that I, have know, I know, have gone through the pain of divorce. Or it's happened to someone that's close to them. And again, pastors don't even don't want to touch this, especially pastors that have also experienced the end of a marriage. And it leaves us with a lot of questions. What was Jesus getting at? Did he really mean what he said about divorce? And does Jesus even care about the circumstances that might have led to a divorce? What does this have to say about spousal abuse? 
The fact is of the matter, we would far rather want to spend more time on the ending of this passage in Mark that talks about blessing children than what we want to talk about what the parents might be doing. But this is something that touches all of us. And it is important to know how we as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, have to deal with this topic. So the text starts with some Pharisees. They're coming up and they ask Jesus a question. And it's interesting, the Bible here, when they use the word test, is actually, in, in Greek, it's the same word that is used when the devil comes to test Jesus. So the Pharisees are basically doing the same thing. They're trying to find a way of tripping Jesus up. So anyway, they ask the question, is it lawful for a woman, for a man, to divorce a woman? And I can imagine Jesus sighing hellbilly, maybe rolling his eyes, and then finally responding. What did Moses say? Jesus says, and so they give him the answer that Jewish law stipulates that the man must give the woman a certificate of divorce. That allows the woman basically to remarry again. If the man doesn't give that, she can't remarry. And that was important because that was basically her source of a living in life. And notice that it was a man that divorced, not the other way around. Jesus answers back that it was because of their hardness of heart that God allows for divorce. And he concludes with this very hard word. What God has put together, let no man separate. And those words must have hung in the air because the disciples want to ask him again just to make sure. What did Jesus mean? Is divorce wrong? And Jesus gives almost the same answer. And the temptation is to try to, one, not talk about this, or two, to say maybe Jesus didn't mean what he said. But there's really no way of getting around that. So what are we to do with this passage? Well, one of the things is, is this even the right question to be asking? Actually, asking about whether divorce is right or wrong probably is the wrong question. The Pharisees wanted to trip Jesus up, but they posed the question in a way, of course, that was very cynical. They wanted to find out basically how much they could get away with. But the real question is not about the legitimacy of divorce as much as it is to ask, what is marriage? Now, marriage is a question that everyone deals with, but for me, it has been in the past, very recent past very familiar and important to me. For the better part of a decade, I worked with a lot of others that supported same-sex marriage to make that legal. And I was thankful in 2013, when uh, six years after a wedding in a, a church, I was able to have a civil marriage with my husband, have all the, the same contractual agreements 
that um, people who are uh, heterosexual have. But I remember in that fight to get married, we weren't just talking about a legal contract. Even that, though, that was really the basis of what we were talking about. Instead, what you heard a lot was about stories of how, how couples cared for one another, especially in times of sickness or as they aged together. The legality of marriage is what was being discussed. But the stories shared, in some ways, whether they knew it or not, talked about the sacredness of marriage, about its mutuality. And in some ways, those stories were getting at the Christian meaning of marriage. If you were to look in Ephesians 5, Paul offers some instructions to the church in Ephesus. Now, the passage in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, has always been a, another difficult text because sometimes I think it has been misinterpreted, especially in some ways to keep women, quote-unquote, in their place. But that isn't really what Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 is talking about. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is what Paul writes. And he talks about wives submitting to your husbands, but he also continues to say, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, giving up his life for the church. What was Paul getting at? It meant to live your life to the point of, of course, dying on a cross, to give up, to live your life for the life of others, and to give up your life for the life of others. That marriage, this was what marriage was all about. It was about living for the other. It was about putting the needs of that other person before your own. Marriage is about bringing about the best in your spouse and being committed to care for that person. It is about, as the old saying goes, caring for them in sickness and in health. It is supposed to be an example in some ways of what Christ has done for us. Christ lived and died for us. It's an example also of how the church should act, that the church cares for each other. We don't live just for ourselves, but we live for that other person, even to the point of giving up our own lives for others. So I think when we see what Jesus is saying, it's not necessarily that Jesus is saying that divorce is verboten. But Jesus is saying marriage is important in the eyes of God because it is a covenant. And he likens it to what Christ has done by living and dying on the cross. Now, unfortunately, divorce will happen. It will happen for many reasons. The question here, and I think Jesus would probably say knew this, is where is the church when this happens? 
How do we help that couple, especially when women tend to get the short end of the stick financially, especially when a marriage ends? LifeWay Research, which is the research arm of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, has said that nearly half of those who divorce leave the congregation where their now poor former spouse attends. So are we helping that spouse find that faith community if they don't want to worship in the same church? When this happens, when the ending of a marriage happens, the community must care for that couple and the family because they are part of that community and because we live for each other to bring the best in each other just as Christ did for us. The question here isn't about whether or not people can divorce. Obviously, and you read this text in God's heart, that should be, the intent should be that marriage should last. And also as a church, we must find ways to strengthen marriage and to talk to those who want to marry. But how do we as a, as a community, how are we helping people understand what marriage is all about, about commitment to one another about covenant in the same way that God covenants with us. Looking back at Ronald Reagan's signing of the Family Law Act, the fact is we're not going to go back to what was before. Before was not perfect. And in some ways, before was unjust. I really had wished that my aunt and uncle had found a way to either stay married or maybe to learn a way to divorce with a sense of grace. The fact of the matter is, to be incredibly blunt, divorce sucks. But the fact is the church can be a place where people learn about commitment, about how likening marriage to who Christ is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can be a place that when divorce happens, the church can help that fractured family heal and move forward in a way that is shaped by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite kind of old hymns is the church's one foundation. Now, if you look at it today, it, it probably has a few what they would call these days problematic lyrics. But the essence of that hymn is to summarize who Jesus is and how we are to act. As that first verse goes, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his whole blood he bought her, and for her life he died. 
as Christ gives his life for us. Let us who are married, let us who are divorced, give our lives for each other. Let us mirror our Christ in everything that we do and in every stage of our life, whether we be joined together or whether we be separated. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope today's sermon podcast was nourishment to your soul. If you'd like to know more about First Christian Church of St. Paul, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. That's F-C-C-S-A-I-N-T-P-A-U-L dot org. May God be with you in the coming week.